0: All right, here we go. Another episode of Sports Cards Live. This is episode number eight and uh, i super excited about this one. We've got an awesome guest tonight, Karn Rye. Karn is a, I like to call him a professional razzer. He's also a gentleman who commissioned a really awesome study at Queen's University for PhD students in artificial intelligence on grading by computer. So we're going to bring him out in a few minutes. Before that, just a few things. I want to thank Steve Menzi, the owner of the Expo, and Chris Carlin from Upper Deck for joining me on Saturday. That was a an awesome episode. We got they dished out some really good insider information. So thanks to them. And then of course on Sunday we had the first showcase with ten vendors from Expo, and that was truly a success. I've heard from all well almost all of them, and lots of deals were had. I made a few myself. So. Just want to thank everybody for tuning in on that. That was that was a lot of fun. We went almost four hours there, so longest episode yet, but uh, something that you can always go back to YouTube and watch and see what sort of cards were, were made available. So coming up uh, tonight, I mentioned this Saturday, Brian Gray from Leaf Trading Cards is going to be joining me. So that's going to be a pretty awesome uh, discussion we'll have. So be sure to tune in for that on Saturday at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and then I'll also mention again on May 23rd, speaking of Brian's, we have Brian Price, the owner of currently President's Choice Trading Cards, former owner of In The Game. He's worked with other companies as well, be a player and Parkhurst and ProSet, and I think even Upper Deck. So stay tuned for that on the 23rd. Um, also, before we bring out Karn, I'm gonna just uh, help out a buddy of mine, Eric, who goes by the name Hammerhawks on Hobby Insider. He's doing a giveaway of a, a Gordy Howe autograph card. So we're going to do that right now really quick. So, Eric, if you're watching and anyone else who was entered in there, I'm just going to share my screen uh, with um, with my Excel where I have all the that's not it. Hold on a second. Let's go back to here. So we're going to bring up the Excel that has everyone who entered the show or entered the contest with him. So this is it here. I'll just do that. All right. So everyone's in here. Who, is, uh, who entered the contest on Hobby Insider. There's, I think, 68 names. So now I'm going to go to random.org, and I'm going to plug in. We've got one to 68 there. I'm going to hit this. We'll do it three times. Whoever is, uh, whatever number comes up third, whoever's in that row will win that Gordy Howe card. Eric, here you go for your contest. Thank you for doing it. Very generous of you. There's the first time, the second time, and this one for the win. Number 11, number 11 is Spooner Nineball. There you go. You win the Gordie Howe autographed card. Awesome. All right. One more thing before I bring out Karn, guys. I want to, this is kind of off topic, but kind of awesome. So I, I bought a card on eBay a couple of weeks ago and it came in. This is the card I bought. It's a Rick Nash Ultimate Emblem. I I I've got like 85 of these cards. They're all one of ones. I love them. Anyway, it came in and the, the case was super scuffed all over the place. I was pretty disappointed. I thought, well, that sucks. But, you know, at least I got the card. And then I saw this something online uh, on YouTube about how to clean up your your slabs if they're really scuffed up. And this one was scuffed bad. I was like, yikes, right? Anyway, so the stuff came today. This is the stuff I got. I want to show you guys this. It's called Meguiar's Scratch X 2.0. You just put a bit of it right on the slab and you buff it out with some paper towel. And now this thing, it looks like it's freshly packed, pulled. I swear I'm super pumped, super happy about it. So if anyone has slabs that are super uh, scuffed or even lightly scuffed, go on Amazon, buy yourself a bottle of this stuff, Meguiar's Scratch X 2.0. All right, just a little public service announcement there. All right, let's bring out Karn. Here he comes. Karn Rye, everybody. This is Karn Rye. Karn, welcome to Sports Cards Live. I'm super happy to have you on today.
1: Hey, Jeremy, happy to be here. Thanks, and thank you. I think you saved me uh, probably hundreds of dollars a year now because I always send in my Beckett cases to get reholdered every time I have a scratch on a case. So thank now, you now you know, man. I just, <laughs> you know what? I wasn't sure what it was going to look
0: like. I asked my wife to order this from me on Amazon. It came today. I got home from work. I I I, I applied it, and it was. Like literally like magic. I'm, I'm super, super happy with how just how perfect the slab is now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm tempted to go through the rest of my slabs and look for ones that are that are scuffed up, too. Right. But uh, that's going to take a lot of time. I got a lot of slabs in my collection. So. All right, man. Well, listen, um, you've done some really interesting things. And the reason why I want to have you on is because I really like your approach uh, to. What really caught my eye was your the branding you've applied to your razzing in your group on Facebook that's called the Big Three, uh, the Big Three Hockey, and then also your Instagram account. I've been following you on Instagram. You've got a you always show great cards, and thought, this guy's got something interesting going on. And then I forget how we found out, but you mentioned to me that you did a, a you commissioned a study at Queen's University. You you put your money where your mouth is. You really stuck your stuck your arm out there for the hobby, and you went out of pocket and you had a study done on grading by computer and whether or not it's possible. I mean, people are always saying that there's inconsistency. It's it's too subjective. There could be favoritism. All these accusations and criticisms about the, the grading um, services that exist. And you thought, well, let's see if we can figure out what's really, um, what, what what's the deal? Is it possible to take out the subjectivity and make it more objective and consistent? And so, I mean, th- those two things. Number one, razzing is something that I've known about on on online for a while. It's not something I'm really active in, but I, I'm aware of it. I've actually had a couple of cards razzed for me over the last couple of years, probably about two years ago. But I thought it'd be interesting because I know a lot of people maybe don't know what it is. And I thought you're probably the perfect guy to, to explain it. So why don't you kick us off, man? W- what is what is
1: razzing? So essentially uh, razz is kind of, uh, so you get 10 people involved. Um, they, put, they put their money up. And uh, out of those 10 people, you, you run a random generator to figure out the winner of, of the RAS, so let's say there's 10 people, you put the 10 names, the list in a list generator, and then after, say, three rounds or five rounds on the, on the generator, the person at the, at the top, per se, uh, wins the card. So I, I like to consider it as like a crowdsourced purchase uh, in, in a type of way. So that's kind of what we do at the, at the Big Three
0: okay so so for example if a card if you want to sell a card for a thousand dollars and you want you're you're going to offer say 10 spots at a hundred dollars each and then you're going to randomize it just like i did earlier with that other prize whoever comes out on top would would win the card and everybody else just kind of gambled and didn't win sort of
1: thing yeah so um you, you get the chance to win cards, maybe you wouldn't uh, buy as a single on eBay, or uh, you don't want to put enough, uh, put up the full amount of money to purchase that card. So it gives you a chance to, to, uh, to win that card at a fraction of the cost.
0: That's okay. That makes sense. I'm pretty familiar with that kind of approach, but I just want people to hear it. W- what does the word Raz mean? Where did that word come from?
1: Actually, I really, I, I figure it comes from raffle. Uh, it's kind of one of those uh, terms of art where once you, once you enter the community, you hear Raz all the time. I, I'm not sure if you would ask 10 people and nine of them probably won't, wouldn't know where Raz came from. So I'm actually not really sure, but uh, it's just something that's stuck and I, I continue with it.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's my understanding too, is that it came out of the, it's kind of like a raffle. People buy tickets, one person wins and so but I don't know why isn't it called raffing then instead of razzing, you know, who <laughs> you knows? just sounds better, probably. right? So so when you know your your brand that you use for your razzing, the big three hockey or the big three, you know, it really looks professional to me. How did you kind of uh, spot the opportunity and say, you know what, I'm going to kind of take this up a notch and make it more professional and more maybe acceptable to people who may not really understand or think it's too it. it gets too close to the line of gambling.
1: Yeah, so, um, so when I first uh, entered the the hockey card community on Facebook, so I obviously entered a lot of groups and there's some wonderful, great groups out there and it's really tough on the admins when you have 4,000, 5,000 members and uh, you have an open source uh, situation where anyone can post things. It becomes really difficult to maneuver around that and handle that. And you get circumstances where maybe once in a while you get, maybe like scammers come into play and uh, people don't get their cards. And that doesn't happen very often, but uh, it happened often enough where it became a problem in the community. Uh, furthermore, on top of that, I wanted to create a situation where there would be this end-to-end RAS group. So the the admin could control the, the full, uh, Community the full group and see uh, which posts are coming through which cards are getting razzed and I wanted to razz What I consider to be razable cards. So what I consider razable cards are uh, Hot cards in that uh, specific time period. So for example, Vetchkin cards are coming in So I accepted Vetchkin cards in the big three during that time Matthews cards with David cards and the reason for that is Essentially, I want every card to funnel through my group to be something that could fill and has the possibility of filling I wanted to kind of declutterize the, the, the RAS groups in, in, in a way. And wow. I also wanted that end-to-end um, opportunity to foresee the start of the RAS to the end of the RAS. When the card enters the RAS system and the card sh- gets shipped out, I wanted to foresee it all to make sure no one gets scammed. And it's been three years. There has not been a scam in the big three. Has not been much controversy at all. So that was kind of my core competencies in creating the group.
0: Okay. That that makes sense to me. So you use the word fill. And just so I'm clear and everyone else is clear, when you say to make sure it fills, to make sure that if I put a card out there on Raz, you know, hundred dollars, 10 spots, I want to sell all 10 spots. Otherwise some people that were willing to buy the spot are never going to have the chance on that card, at least not this time. So, and, and you also talked about, you know, the end to end thing. So what were you seeing out there that kind of made you think, you know what, this needs Razzing needs a group that's going to actually run it from end to end because if not, what what could happen? And I mean, I'm kind of loading the question because I've seen some groups where, you know, cards raz, they don't fill. Then they get into these, these things called minis and micros. And I've even seen nanos. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, so we partake in minis and micros and nanos as well. But uh, what allows it to be suitable for an end-to-end group is with minis and micros and such, it it clutters the group up, right? So when you have, uh, say, like 50, 60 people trying to post at the same time, uh, you can't have a member in the community search through the group and find that card that they want. So you kind of want to have a system where you have only one or two cards up at one time so the members of the group can see that card. And obviously, like, an open source situation is great. It's it's needed in the community. But I kind of just wanted to create, like, a different focus and have a – have a group that's kind of uh, geared towards specific cards at specific times, and members can enter and look at the cards anytime. They can check daily what cards are up, and maximum there will be only two cards, three cards up at, up at one time. And we try to fill or make sure all the spots are taken in each uh, each RAS that we do.
0: So it's you're really coming at it from a customer experience kind of perspective, saying if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna enter or buy into our RASs, we want you to be able to find them first of all and, and not search through a really cluttered facebook group sort of thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah that, that that makes sense. And so, um how do you how are raz, how are cards that you put out for raz? How are they priced?
1: So, uh, what we typically typically do is I I think of myself as kind of like a broker in the situation. So, when we have owner of cards come to the big 3 and they say I have this amazing card. First, I, I check the card and I see if it's suitable for Aras. And what I mean by suitability is we want, we want cards that uh, people desire in Aras. So you might have a card that's desirable in the market, but it not, might not be desirable in Raz. What that means is you, you want 20 to 30 people to be interested in that card because you need 10 to 50 people to fill a card in a Raz. if that makes sense. Yeah. First, I, I, I check that off. Then I check off the condition, make sure I ask the owner of the card, is a is card mint? I check that off, and I make sure the person's reputable make sure that uh, if, if someone wins the card, they're going to get the card. And then I ask. I, I don't look at comps first. I ask the owner, because I'm a firm believer in it's, it's, your, it's your card, how much do you want for your card? So if they say something that's close to the comps, I say, just kind of win me over. Why do you think that this card is worth more than the comps right now? Maybe they'll show me that the card that ended at $1,600 yesterday had a damaged corner. So I want $1,700 on mine or $1,800 on mine. Or maybe there's an old comp for three months ago and the player's uh, cards have risen since that time. So I'll look at all these factors and I kind of take part in a negotiation with the owner of the card behind the scenes before razzing the card. So in that way, both... The owner is happy, and the winners are happy in a sense because we're we're going to try to fill the card. The owner is going to get his uh, his desired value on the card, and uh, we we take our our ten percent fee for rassing, and uh, that's three percent less than eBay. And we get and you get to negotiate with the owner of the card as well. So it's kind of a situation where every party wins in a sense. So
0: sure, makes sense. Kind of reminds me. I don't know if you ever watched Million Dollar Listing New York or LA, where the real the real. The big, the big superstar realtors and they uh you know a big part of their episodes is always negotiating with a homeowner on what they're gonna list the house for so you're kind of doing that but on the on the scale of sports car and you don't do just hockey you do basketball soccer i know you do those for sure do you do any baseball and football
1: yeah so i just kind of go with the, the taste of the group um personally like what i buy i buy everything like i buy Things from Pokemon to hockey to soccer to football. Um, for the group, I just try to, to try to test out the space. I sometimes even just tell the group members maybe they're not comfortable with the sport. And I say, hey guys, look, the, this this card is shooting up in value. This is a card that's very desirable on the market right now. Give it a shot. If you guys want me to put it up, we'll put we'll put it up. Like today, we did our first uh, soccer guys. I don't think. Uh, there has been many soccer razzes in, uh, in, uh, in Canada yet. So uh, that was pretty cool to see and it filled up really quick. Um, so that's what we try to do. We try to razz cards that we consider to be desirable in the market today. So the owner can win a card and they can sell that card down the line for more value if they want to, or if they want to keep it as their PC item or a collectible that they want to keep forever. Like that's kind of what we'll, the direction we'll want to go towards.
0: Fair. Okay, cool. So a couple more things on RAS I want to understand. So I see a lot uh, when I do come across a group that has a RAS, I see this comment says buy back 80% or something like that. Um, I have an idea what it means, but why don't I let you explain that just so people listening can uh, have an understanding when they come across that.
1: Yeah, so a buybacks is not something that we do because we, tr- we try to run our, our RASs legally. My background is actually in the law. So I, I studied law, law school in Queens University. So I actually try to make my RAS group uh, legal. Um, so the buyback portion of things kind of wanes the line of legality. But what it is, is you get an 80% uh, portion of the value of the RAS back if you win as an option instead of the card itself. So say if it's a thousand dollar card, You can get $800 back instead of taking instead
0: Instead of taking the card. Yeah. So then the owner, the owner of the card basically gets that 20% sort of arbitrage amount, if you will, and just gets to keep it for themselves and go razz it again.
1: Razz it again. But typically the standard is to lower the line afterwards. Um, So that kind of helps the arbitrage and make sure that uh, no one's profiting uh, a a huge amount off that. But uh, yeah, that's definitely a great, great area in the in the Razz world for sure
0: sure and you use the term there uh lowering the line so uh, the line is like how many spots you're offering and how much each spot is going to be so a card for a thousand dollars you could have 10 spots at a hundred or a thousand spots at a dollar exactly right so which actually makes me brings me back to the question earlier about um, micros or, or minis micros and nanos which are different levels of buying in to the Raz. so I think the way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the way it works is if you're doing a RAS for $1,000, 10 spots, that's $100 a spot. You can then say, okay, now we're going to RAS off, say three of those $100 spots. So we're going to now, that's $300. We're going to now sell 10 spots at $30 each. And the top three winners of that would win, each win a spot in the main RAS. Is that kind of how that works?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of uh, used in uh, circumstances that, Perhaps there is interest in a card, but uh, the 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 buy in is too high, or potentially too much of a, a risk for someone to enter. So they they perhaps might take a shot at what is considered a mini, and with the mini you have a chance to win the main spot. So that's kind of how that works, and that that's kind of used in those in those large cards, uh, over five hundred dollars, over a thousand dollars. We've ras huge cards like a matthews cup when it first came out ten thousand dollar card at the time we tried uh razzing mcdavid cup uh, uh bgs9 at one point we almost got it done but uh, uh we were a little short on that but uh micros and minis kind of help uh that that type of situation
0: okay that, that's cool so so it goes it goes main then yep. it goes mini yeah then micro then nano so you can I you know, had in a long time, so <laughs> I, I just I've seen them. I kind of look. I go, wow, that's that's kind of yeah. yeah, really that gets it, right. I get tough. because I guess you. But if you're going to buy into a nano, which would be the smallest possible way for, for a dollar into a thousand
1: dollar card, you do have a chance of winning that card I for have a dollar. Yeah, um, actually, we we uh, raised uh, a Matthews High Gloss Young Guns uh, about two years ago. Wow. And- I think it was a nine, $9,000 $9, was the value of the card. Um, someone won the card for about 60 bucks around there, $55. So it wow. does. And so it's a, it's a, it's a great That's run. A big
0: win. That's a big, all right. I'm just going to go to a few comments. We've got a bunch coming in. First of all, Andy, no, I cannot see your name, brother. Uh, so give that another try somehow. Um, I want to get down to, uh, <laughs> Funny name. I'm not sponsored. I just I just bought that stuff. Uh, this here, I'll show it again. This is the <laughs> Meguiars Scratch 2.0. If if anyone knows anyone at Meguiar's and they want to sponsor this episode or this show, bring them on. Happy to do that. Um, it's and and I just want to show it again because it's called Meguiar's. There's an A in there too. M E G U I A R apostrophe S. But you shouldn't forget that picture. I went hunting for that at Walmart. About a week ago, in the I thought I was I went online. They said it would be in the automobile section, and and, and it wasn't. So anyway, there was none. And uh, but my wife ordered it for me, so that was pretty awesome. Um, here's a great question from Brett Karn. This is for you. Do you keep a historical archive of your past razes?
1: Yeah, I actually used to uh, keep a keep an archive of, of my razes, but I actually uh, in. I was speaking about earlier the cluttering of, of the group page. So I started uh, deleting the old RASs past oh, like a month or 30 days. So uh, we do have kind of an arc, archive of the last 30 days on the page.
0: Okay, very cool. Um, so, Brett, there you go. And then uh, Cardboard Nostalgia asked, is there a concern about running your entire operation on Facebook? He's heard that Facebook is cracking down on certain RAS groups.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the advantage I have there is. Uh, to try to make it as legal as possible so the way to do that is you kind of have to have a no purchase necessary you have to have you have to have you have to make sure that the, the game is a chance of skill and not luck that's what keeps into the legal realm and how you do that is you ask a skill testing question to all the winners uh, so that kind of takes away the, the the game it's crazy how the law works so that's how it is and, and then you consideration to each person that enters a RAS. So that could be even a digital picture that's uh, considered consideration. It's called a peppercorn principle. So you just have to give a penny or a dollar um, to okay. each years. So that's kind of uh, how you get away with the, the gaming uh, commission violation. So um, it is definitely a gray line, but uh, you can definitely make it more and more legal where it becomes a situation where it definitely cannot just get cracked down if you, if you properly uh, manage your group.
0: Right, it's it's kind of funny. You mentioned the skill testing question because even to win a lottery or a scratch a scratch and win ticket by you know at the lottery centers throughout the country, you need to answer that skills testing question. At least you did it one time, and it's funny because yeah. that was that was the government doing it. They set the laws, yet they're show, they're giving you the loophole around it uh, exactly. for their own for their own things.
1: It's an easy loophole too, so it's uh- yeah. And I like
0: it. You know, the, the consideration that you give back to everybody being that digital picture. I mean, hey, that that is something it's, it's something that isn't nothing. And that's uh, if it gets you around it and with your legal background, hopefully you've covered off all your bases there across the T's out of the I's and stay out of trouble and keep this going. Carvin, who's uh, formerly of Upper Deck and join me on my episode number two, says it's a raffle. The F's are replaced by ZZ or ZZ. So that's uh, that just clarifies that for us. Thank you for that, Carvin. And then um, I think this is uh, my buddy Andy writes, uh, seems like a ton of work sometimes to raz stuff off, especially when you have to do minis and so on. So does that kind of speak to your whole thing about, you know, we want to just do it clean and not get into that too much? Like how often do you need, what percent of razzes do you actually need to get into the lower level micros, minis, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's uh, that's why when, uh, I think we have to appreciate all our group admins in in the hockey card community. I think uh, a lot of times uh, when something goes wrong in other groups, uh, people are quick to jump on the admins. It's a, it's a very very difficult uh, job to run a group, and uh, you always have to be on your feet and on your toes. And in the situation of of a RAS, there is a lot of work to, to get done. So because you have this, uh, you you've told this owner of a card that you're going to try to fill their card, and you're asking. a a broker fee to, to get that RAS done. So you're going to try your best in the best interest of the the broker between you and the owner of the card to fill the RAS up as much as you can. So you're going to have to do the minis and the micros and you have to check the payments. You got to make sure that all the payments are coming in time. Then you have to manage the people that are, are, are paying on time and some are not paying on time. So you got to Message them, courtesy calls, which is completely fine. Uh, people, it's people have busy days, right? So it's kind of you have to manage it all, but you have that uh, you have to work in the best interest of the owner of the card and the group in general, and bring in content for the group. So it is, it is a lot of work, but I think it's worth it, and it brings value to everyone in the ecosystem of cards.
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, I mean, uh, for me, when I was thinking about selling cards that way, or at least entertaining the idea, because when it was new. And I realized how much work it is. I said, forget it. It's just too much work for me. I don't, I don't really want to spend the time at it. So I, I kind of you know, admire that you've not only spent the time, but you've really cleaned it up. You've tried to perfect it, make it more professional. And you branded yourself with the big three. I love your I love your branding. I think it's beautiful. Um, so that, that, that's, that's really awesome. Um, Davey asks, can you get into a Razzle Facebook? He only has Instagram, which is a nice segue into, I think, the direction and the future of the big three, as we were discussing. Being you're focusing a little bit more on Instagram, why don't you speak to this a little bit?
1: So uh, at this at this time, it's a it's a Facebook uh, only thing for the big three. Um, I do know that there's certain people that do run razzles on Instagram, but uh, there's not an, enough safety measures on Instagram, in my opinion, to to really have a, a perfect uh situation that it works with Razzing because you kind of have aliases involved, you can't really see who the person is. So at this time, it's, it's more so a Facebook thing. But uh, if we if you want to get out and branch out into the real world, there's actually a lot of uh, companies now that are that are trying to legal raz items. So there's one in 100 that kind of razzes sports tickets, and one uh, in 100.com. So you enter to win leaf tickets, for example. And there's a, a Canadian company called uh, Razzle that you many people probably have heard about, and they do it on on their website. So not on IG yet, uh, Facebook only at this time.
0: Sure. And then next question from Sean: Do you cross post in other Facebook groups, or do you own any of the cards? Great questions. And do you own any of the cards in your group Razal? So first, cro- I'll, I'll just explain cross posting. I do understand that. So cross posting is where you list it in one group but then you list it in a, in another group as well and for complete transparency you let the members of both groups know that you've posted it in both of those groups so that spots may fill from another in it within another group correct
1: yeah yeah so um, why don't go ahead yeah so with cross posting the big 3 doesn't do it uh, I have done it in the past and I've tried it out and it just uh, becomes a little too difficult uh, to to manage two posts two separate posts if someone's taking a spot in in the big three and someone's taking the same spot in another group it starts converging together and it, it begin, to yeah, it's, it's tough to manage so we try not to cross post in other groups and in terms of uh owning the cards uh, i do own some of the cards um that we razz but uh a large percentage of the cards are uh members in the group and um what we try to do is behind the scenes make sure that everything is safe um, so we want all the cards to be under the guise of the big three brand um so that's why you see the pictures they're all consistent the ras posts are all consistent you don't know the owner of the card but we're we're, we're kind of telling you guys uh anyone that wants to join a raz we back this raz anything goes wrong we're paying you for it uh, you're gonna get the value of the card we're gonna make sure you're gonna get the card and we're going to provide the tracking information, all that uh, information.
0: So it's kind of like you're you're sort of you're sort of providing a, a hybrid sort of escrow service where you're not actually taking physical possession of the card in the middle, but you are verifying its existence, It's verifying its condition, and really getting comfortable that the card is actually going to travel from the current owner to the winner of the Raz.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the the business model of like Stock X. If uh, people out there know uh, Stock X's uh, business model, so you you put a put an item on their website to sell, and then Stock X verifies the item and ships it out. It's kind of like that, but we are taking we're not taking ownership, but we're taking the 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 interest in selling the card. We don't have uh, the card in hand, but we're making sure that the card gets to you, and we back that completely. So if If something goes wrong, we insure it, uh, we make sure that the the owner uh, gets the full value of the card. And in three years, nothing has gone wrong. So it's uh, it's a solid, impressive. It's how many effective. How many
0: razs would you estimate you've managed and run over the last three years?
1: Oh, it's uh, it's it's been it's been a lot. I would say uh, sales transactions and razzes. I kind of like uh, on my Excel sheet, I don't have a separate. Uh, a file for RAS and uh, sales. So I would say I've had about 1,500 to 1,700 transactions. Um, I would say about not 900 to 1,200 are
0: probably RASs. Okay, so so, you, so you're so you quite an experienced Razer then. So I picked the right yeah. guy to, to join me here.
1: That's yeah, awesome. It's, so
0: there's another, another question for you from Ty. He asked, have you ever had any big fights between people that you had to in, intervene over a RAS?
1: So, uh, I don't know specifically like what uh, what direction you mean in a fight, but I have had situations where, say, if I've made a mistake, um, mistakes do happen. For example, a situation: person X picks number six in in the Raz, and I accidentally put his name in number five or something like that, and then number six wins then the other person wants to card and and i make sure that i have all these rules written down and i follow the rules there's no there's no loyalty to to a certain member because he pays more money or spends more money it's the rules are the way it goes so i have them all written and the rule is if you pick the number you, you that's the number you get despite what is shown on the list so it's kind of so fights do happen but i have effectively kind of minimized uh, the 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 fighting going on, but it happens rarely, not too much. And I would say that the members of the big three probably don't haven't seen much of it. So if it does happen, be on the background anyways.
0: All right, great. Here's a question from Scott. He wants to know, do you have a company that assisted you with your branding or that is assisting you with your branding?
1: So I actually have uh, someone I met from uh, the Least Collectibles group, uh, who is a graphic de- designer, uh, Patrick Helpert I believe is his name. A Brilliant, brilliant uh, graphic designer. So he's the one uh, that helped me with the initial uh, Big Three logo. And then uh, moving on to our Instagram, I just uh, hired a graphic designer that was a, a, a colleague of mine in school to to get it done. So it's not a company, but it's uh, just freelance uh, freelancers that are helping us out.
0: Right on. And so uh, the next question, this is Brett's and it kind of leads into what was going to be my co- sort of final question for you on the rousing topic, which is, well, he starts off by saying, I assume you're getting decent ROI to this point from a scale standpoint. What are your future goals? And that was my question. What are your future goals for your Facebook group and your, your Instagram feed?
1: So I think my favorite part of the big three is the community. I've met so many great guys and uh, everyone is just uh, so respectful and courteous and everyone loves cards and we we talk about the value of cards what cards are going to be hot what cards people need in their pc so that's kind of the the grassroots thing i love about the big three so in terms of scaling it uh, i don't think we're going to scale it uh, wide and uh, large or anything like that we're going to keep it the way it is and uh, i just enjoy the grassroots level of uh, community building that we have in the big three everyone kind of knows each other we kind of have like the the same type of uh, same uh, person's coming into the groups, uh, coming into the Razzes. So I kind of like that idea of it. So I'm, I'm keeping the the grassroots level of the big three Facebook group there, but what we're scaling towards is actually becoming a larger, uh, buyer and seller of larger high-end cards. Um, so that's what we're doing in our Instagram channel right now. So what we're doing there is honestly just, uh, going big and buying the biggest of the hobby and, uh, just uh, trying to find uh, new owners and brokering deals and, uh, scaling that way
0: all right so last question that just popped in my mind what is the most expensive card you've ever razzed that you can remember
1: most expensive card ever razzed or sold or well uh, razzed razzed (laughs) that's the topic here Uh, razzed um it it was the biggest attempt was the conor mcdavid uh cup 99 bgs9 so we were trying to razz it for 35 uh thousand dollars canadian um we got towards the 20k area it started to slow down a little bit it was during the expo time um but uh it didn't fill but it ended up selling at the expo for 37k canadian so it was actually a deal uh for the razzers there um so yeah we tried but it didn't fill so the one that filled was i think we've had uh we've had a 15k card probably all right cool very cool
0: all right so seems to be it that's uh no more there's no more questions coming through on the the razzing topic so let's switch gears now to what I think is super interesting, the 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 fact that you actually, like I said earlier, you went out of pocket. You commissioned a study at Queen's University. There was a question earlier that I didn't put on the screen. Someone said that they thought you were that you were a Queen's student. Uh, whether you were or not isn't really relevant to the to the study. Although maybe it's just your alma mater sort of thing. But let's talk about this. So you actually. Somehow, and you'll, I'll let you get into the details, but just a quick summary: you reached out to some PhD students at Queen's University, and you basically said, "Here's a problem in this hobby that I'm heavily involved in. Can you guys find a solution to this?" And that problem being the inconsistency and subjectivity uh, that comes with the just with grading, with the fact that cards are graded by human beings, and not all not all graders have the same, or they're not all in the same mood every day. They're not. All, they don't all have the same biases. So things can always be um, manipulated for the for the good or the bad of one of their clients or customers. So why don't you tell us a bit about the study the the who what where when why and how much did it cost you?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the start of it uh, the start of it happened actually with uh, just. Relationship building in the hobby, so I started talking to some of uh, some of um, my friends in the hobby, Bill Tatsas and uh, Joseph Angelino. and they're like, "Let's group together and uh, create this project. Let's let's try to solve some issues in the hobby and let's let's try to innovate, right?" And I just Always had that. We would sit at his bar and speak about uh, these things and how to solve problems in the in the in the hobby. So it was always in the back of back of my mind, and uh, I just started thinking about it more. So then I went to the nationals in Chicago, and I started bringing it up with uh, high end dealers, collectors, and I started asking them, "Is this something that you would you would want?" And surprisingly, some people didn't want it, and some people did want it. Then I went to some big auction houses, big guys in the hobby, big companies. And I asked, has this been done before? And to my surprise, it has been attempted before. And um, the attempts have have failed um, due to business viability. It's It's a very expensive endeavor. And I was warned actually at the nationals, like, trust me, this is going to be expensive, firstly. Secondly, you're going to figure out why it's not possible. And I'm stubborn, I I took it away as okay, it might not be possible, we can still give it a shot, though. So challenge accepted, challenge accepted. So, um, so answering to the to whoever made that comment, I am a Queen student, I just graduated uh, my Juris Doctorate at uh, Queen's University Law School. Um, But during that summer, Uh, After the National Nationals in August, I started uh, uh, working towards my business degree uh, credits towards my MBA. So the first day of orientation, we had a bunch of new, new people coming into a class, right? And one guy was actually an engineer, and he worked with something called computer vision and he he introduced himself as someone that worked with computer vision and uh ai technology and all the things that i learned through the summer and these conversations at the bar with bill and joseph uh, they came together and my first meeting with this gentleman was basically hey i I sell car i first of all i bring up cards all the time at parties everything so the first thing i thought about was hey i I sell cards there's this big problem in in cards and um, how can we solve this situation using artificial intelligence and computer vision? Computer vision is basically this in-depth uh, processing of, uh, of, of objects to figure out flaws and, and any a lot of other uh, mechanisms for it. And he, he kind of guided me towards um, telling me that it was viable and he, he piqued my interest and he said, like, this is possible let me get you in touch with someone I know. And uh, he got me in touch with an organization at the Queen's University. Uh, it's called QMind. And they deal with artificial intelligence, engineering uh, apparatuses and products for clients uh, in the real world. Um, so I, I spoke to a gentleman there named Jeremy and uh, we, have, we went into the conference room and I uh, brought in uh, PSA cards, Beckett cards, raw cards, brought it all in my little suitcase and we kind of just got to talking and I said, is this something that's viable and and possible to do? And he told me, look, it, it, seems like a, it seems like a tough project, but we can give it a shot. What is your goal for this project? And at the, at the start there, my goal was to, to create a full grading system. So that would mean taking the card, people bring you cards and you can grade them using your, your artificial intelligence that you've created. Um, quickly, soon after you realize that <laughs> that's not very viable as a, at a business standpoint, um, the challenges involved with that are essentially capital. Like it, it, it's gonna take a lot of money. You have to create, uh, probably getting uh, too far ahead of myself here, but you have to create like a gyro system to, to check the surface of a card. from From different angles different angles um you have to pinpoint uh the different uh factors of centering in each different card and and there's just a lot of lot of things that uh, have problems with it so then i moved into can we create an iphone tool that people can use at home to check centering of their cards centering seems like an easier thing and then i realized um for example bring in something like this card it's it's an easy card to figure out centering on. Uh, you just have to look at the the borders. Yeah. But it's it's easy for a human to see that, but a computer just looks at this as a raw data, a raw picture. They don't. The computer doesn't know um, that this card is any different than, for example, this Zion card this Zion card doesn't have have any borders. So how is the computer gonna see what the difference is between these two? So you have to figure out the data point of what centering is on this card and what centering is on this card. So now you have a lot of factors into play on how you can train a computer intelligence system to, to see these cards. And the solution to that is to create data sets. You have to have a lot of data in on each subset, on every card, and you just gotta keep keep uh, feeding the system and it learns all the data, what is perfect and what is not. The challenges in that is, first of all, you would need to know what a perfect card is, which is hard enough, because you can't just, um, with, with, with cards like this, it's easy, because you can just Photoshop what could be the perfect centering, so you can get a baseline for this card. But for example, a card like, like even the, the, the Matthews, this like everyone was, uh, s- they didn't know what was the centering on this card. Is it the line on this on this uh, SCH here? Is it the upper deck logo? You don't know what the perfect centering is on that card. So you kind of need to have that baseline. So that might, the challenge of that is you kind of want maybe the companies, the card companies to come in and give you the data sets and all on what a perfect card is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you can get printing plates on cards Theoretically, your printing plate should be the perfect card. Right. But then you get a, a black label that doesn't match the, the printing plate. They look completely different. So it's you don't know what the baseline is. I someone uh, mentioned to me in, in my group, why don't you get black labels of every card? Obviously, that's probably not possible, but you look at black labels and <laughs> they're not they don't they're not always perfect either. So then those are the challenges you have, right? So then after, I, I'm like, okay, that, that's probably not going to work. Let's go to to option number three. Option number three was let's create a tool for people at home using their iPhones for specific subsets. So what specific subsets is Young Guns or SP Authentic or Tim Hortons cards, for example, the, the cards that most hockey card collectors um, collect. But now the challenge in that is now you're you're kind of, being intersectional and you're 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 putting, pointing towards uh, a very niche uh subsect of, of the whole community so now you can't you're not really creating a solution for the hobby in general just people that collect these three specific cards and then after I, I i after that option i'm just like maybe there is something else that i can do here so i started looking into the whole uh trimming scandal uh i said look it seems kind of easy that we can create a solution for trimming like if a card is shorter should be easy to identify can we do with an iphone application soon found out you would have to have uh, a comparable cube in the in the in in the image that shows the measurements of of what is objective as the baseline and then it would have to track the card and that kind of became a little difficult and also we found variance in manufactured cards so there's no baseline in hundred. In hundred SP authentic cards, each one had some differences in measurement, and we also don't don't didn't have a data set of trimmed cards to figure out what a trimmed card look looked like either. So it's it's really a, a data set issue. Theoretically possible if you have infinite amounts of money, but there's a lot of Lots a lot of data, parts there. A lot of parts. Like for example, the surface uh, of this.
0: Yeah, go, you go ahead. You go ahead.
1: surface of this michael jordan card yeah it's a clear card there's a lot of shine and gloss to it how do you manage the system to figure out uh and differentiate that this is a part of the card or if it's uh an issue on the card or behind the card or if it's behind the card Yeah, just an example of the, the challenges there
0: cool so um that was really great that was the who what where what about the when? When did this take place, and how long did this study take?
1: So um, the study, I, I got started quick. This is first day orientation. Um, I talked to uh, this gentleman that walked into our class, and by the next month, we had it going. We had it started. I paid paid for the whole uh, the funding of the research, um, and we had, uh, I believe, five um, computer intelligence uh, people working on the project for eight months. So uh, that's eight months. Yeah. Yeah, so they would work about, um, I would say, two to three hours a week on it. Um, And they would just uh, look at different options and uh, figure out how to do this. So, uh, yeah, um, I would check in on them. We do uh, Skype calls. Um, i would would come into the conference hall sometimes, and they would show me, like, what's the the challenges, what's the issues, what did I want from this project? And, uh, yeah. How much did you spend
0: on this? So, Of your own money. This is his own money, everybody, too. This guy went out of pocket trying to find a solution for all of us in the hobby, really, because I think the the inconsistencies in grading is a pervasive problem across all sports, all countries, all collectors, all investors, all hobbyists, really, anyone involved. How much did you put out of your own pocket for this? So my cost was
1: actually cheaper than what it would have cost if I didn't uh, go outside of an organization. So I spent uh, $15,000 on the research portion of, of the project um, to take it to operational ability, even the baseline uh, software that we created and take it into a commercial product, it would have been a further $100,000. And uh, that was just a, a baseline operable software that we created right now. And that's just like figuring out centering and edges and corners and surface of SP authentic upper deck and uh, Tim Horton's cards. Right. So now I have to look at how the business viability of any card in every card. So uh, it's, a, it's a big project for sure.
0: For sure, man, for sure. And I mean, we, we spoke earlier and one thing that I think was interesting was that to really make this thing work, you and it speaks to the data sets issue. You would need copies of every card ever made if you're if the company who would actually purchase and use this technology would be open to grading any and every card just like PSA, BGS, SGC, just like they do. So that would have been quite the challenge as well. Would, would it not have been?
1: Yeah. So I think a, I was trying to think of ways to maybe make it happen on maybe not even every card but on a wide scale maybe create an open source project where people can kind of uh, build into the data set but even just thinking like one person can't do that but maybe a business and company theoretically can do that Uh, it is possible if uh, everyone works together for it but uh, the thing the question I started asking myself when I wanted to answer that question is, does everyone want this? That's that's a big thing, too, that maybe not everyone wants this, uh, wants this objective uh, understanding of what a card would grade. Uh, so before you, Karin, before you jump into that,
0: because this is an interesting piece that I know we're going to talk about. You you call this the gamification aspect. But before you do that, I just want to show everybody because Karn actually sent me. The what's I be, what what I guess is basically the executive summary of this study. So I'm going to throw it up on the screen. And you guys can see what he actually paid for. So let's bring that up right now. So guys, this is what it, this study was called the Trading Card Vision System. You can see it's got you know the authors, the the, the AI students that he worked with, or the PhD students that he worked with. You now we there there's the there's the abstract. Basically, I won't read it out loud, or maybe I will. You know what I will? It says, this trading card vision system is an application that will automatically determine the physical card quality of trading cards. It's designed to detect edge quality, the logo centering quality in trading cards, to be able to assist in card grading. And then it Mm -hmm. goes on with some stats. A simple web application was also developed to allow a user to easily interface with the system. So there's an introduction, there's some related works, they define the problem, they got into methodology, corner detection, logo centering, edge defect detection. The results and discussion then were were discussed a little bit, and uh, conclusions and future work and some references. So, uh, as you told me, this is just like the executive summary of it. But yep. like this, this is a professional, publishable type of study that was done with references and uh, you know all, all the things that you see when you look at these these academic studies. And they also provided you with what was a PowerPoint presentation here. I'm at the bottom of it. I'll run up to the top quickly here, but. So here, here's the PowerPoint presentation that was created for it. And I think it just kind of goes through the timeline, the data set, what was used, overview of components, stages of the system, precise corner locator. Now, this, these are all words that us card collectors, we don't really uh, have in our in our vernacular, right? And now all of a sudden, Here they are, logo centering detection, three stages of a system, intuition, data set, pre-processing, model. You know, I mean, this thing just goes on, model performance and conclusion. So and then the limitations, of course. So kind of the, the, the main challenges from it. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Like, again, I've said it before. You put your money where your mouth is. I think we all kind of can thank you for that. I personally think it's awesome that you did that. So. Thank you. Appreciate it. Way to go, man! Like, thank, thank you, thank you. On behalf of myself and whoever else, will let me on behalf of them say uh, in, in the hobby, thank you for doing that. I think it's just really awesome that you did. Um, here's a question from Dave. He, he's asking, did you think about simplifying the problem initially by only looking at vintage cards with borders?
1: Yeah, we started. uh We think we thought about doing. Uh, a border solution. So I actually uh, brought in Pokemon cards because all Pokemon cards have uh, borders on it. So it was, it was a lot more simple to to figure out a solution for that. Um, the the vintage card uh, direction is not something that we, we considered, uh, but it's probably something that is actually probably a little easier to do and get done. Um, and there is a lot of archives on vintage cards as well. So that's uh, probably something that we can think about in the future for sure.
0: Awesome. Okay. And then there's a question that's asked by Chris, but it's too long for me to put on the screen. So I'm just going to kind of read it. And I haven't read it yet. But it says, I have a question regarding AI grading. Do you think digital measurement is something reasonable that grading companies should add to help detect trimming? Obviously, this would require card manufacturers disclosing card sizes to the companies, along with tolerances allowed in production. I mean, I know that a card is two and a half by three and a half inches. That's standard size. It has been since the 50s the late 50s um what do you what do you think of that that comment in terms of is it po- is it possible for that to happen and, and i do like his where he does go on to say that you know obviously um tolerances would have to be to be considered as well
1: yeah so i think we were uh, we were speaking about it uh, yesterday so once you bring in tolerance um you're moving the objectivity of the of the situation now it becomes subjective again right uh mm-hmm. So now I have to look at um, the business viability aspect of it all. These graders look at thousands and thousands of cards, and the card companies are creating thousands and thousands of cards. So, and we all we already see a backlog with with grading companies. So if you add another situation where they have to uh, check each card and see if it's trimmed and what the perfect measurement is, and Ideally and idealistically, we do want that to occur. But in a, in a business sense, it may not be possible. And if it is possible, then as I mentioned previously, we found that manufa- cards straight from the manufacturer have variance in sizes. That's why I think the trimming situation is a little bit scary in a sense. And it is because uh, when you see a trimmed card that passes grading, this is not a, usually not a card that um, looks trimmed like like by just looking at it on the onset um so
0: because, because it's still within those tolerances and yeah. if you if you I, I believe if you even look on the, the the grading standards of the big companies it even says that they do allow a tolerance for the size of the card and i mean you can take a stack of cards and hold them in your hand from various different eras and you'll feel different sizes just in your fingertips right yeah. from the same product
1: I can provide probably an example that a lot of people listening here would will probably agree with um sp authentic some people have sp authentic cars that fit fit in one touches yeah. some people say that they're too large for one touches i just opened it from a pack this makes no sense that's the variance that we see so how that's why i kind of feel a little bad sometimes for graders uh because it's like it's it's really really difficult to Catch every card when when you're a human, right? And that's why you want to add the computer AI system. But then there's still the issue of variance. So you kind of have to have uh, the the card to be objectively one size all the time from the manufacturers. Yeah, to have a perfect solution. So that's kind of the the challenges involved.
0: And for that to happen, you got to get into their printing vendors and all that. And I mean, I you know I, I believe that a lot of these cards are are cut you know the sheets are not cut one sheet at a time is my understanding they will pile up you know a bunch of sheets and then bring the guillotine down and chop those up so if those if those sheets or forms as uh, as they call them in the in the manufacturing world if those sheets actually move a little bit you're going to see different sizes of, of cards and, and then you also can get into the diamond cut where where the card isn't cut perfectly square which i've seen several times on various different cards so all right, here's just a comment for you, Karn. Karn Rye, best in the hobby, let me tell you. Well, I'm sure this is a buddy of yours. Thanks for uh, joining the show. I'm pretty sure this is Jask. <laughs> Jask, welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you for giving Karn some love. We uh, He appreciates I appreciate it. Now, Amit, this is, a, this, is, this is by far his favorite episode. He loves the science, and I love when nerds nerd out using card nerdiness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Amit. Always happy to to nerd out. A couple, other, okay, a couple of wows. You know, amazing. Like people, this was these comments were coming when I was showing the study. By the way, so I think. Uh, and then, you know, Scott, another thank you for your effort. Here's a comment. Uh, doesn't seem like there would be any motivation on the part of manufacturers if there is such a variation coming directly from the factory line. And it's, I mean,
1: yeah, I thought about that as well because it yeah. kind of points errors on their part, right? Right. Uh, Today, and that's why why I asked the question earlier. Who wants this? Who really does want an objective system? Um, it, it, it pinpoints errors on the card. It pinpoints right. the card might be shorter. It might uh, pinpoint surface errors objectively. Now, if you open up a pack and you put it into this AI system and the system says this card is messed up, I go to the card company and say, look, objectively, this card is messed up. Now they can't really say anything about it, right? Now they have to produce another car to keep you happy. Uh it's just uh, it's, it's, the business viability of it is isn't there, but the theoretical viability is, it's the business part that scares me a bit of, of the right. situation.
0: Sure, fair, fair comments, appreciate it, all right. Um, name asks, can you find this study on Google Scholar? I don't know what that is, are you familiar?
1: Uh, potentially, yeah, I think it's uh, where you upload uh, Um, information. Uh, So this uh, was actually presented at uh, an artificial intelligence uh, conference in Colorado. So maybe uh, potentially it's out there, but I'm not privy to that.
0: Right on. Okay. Um, Here's a question from Carlos, or I'm not sure if it's a question or comment, but I'm going to read it. He said, because it's too long for the screen. He says, I agree that subjectivity comes into play with tolerances, but I think having a streamlined version of the tech to assist the human graders would catch obvious trimming if it falls well outside the tolerances. That's where the value could be. And I do agree with that, with with that, Mm -hmm. Carlos. But I do, just from following all the threads on especially blowout regarding the trimming scandal from last year, these trimmers are very sophisticated and they know what the tolerances are and they're making sure that they're not trimming beyond that tolerance. So, you know, obviously there are some amateurs or (laughs) I don't want to call them amateurs, but Um, there are some people who aren't as good at it and they would likely be able to get caught by that. Anything to add there, Karn?
1: Yeah, just the aspect of using it as a tool. So that's kind of uh, the direction that we uh, ended up thinking about going, uh, use it as a tool for the human instead of replacing the human. That's kind of the the philosophical debate as well. Like, do you want to replace the human? So maybe it's a tool that can be used. So that's kind of what we kind of were thinking about doing just, having it as a centering situation, or maybe allowing the computer to look at centering the edges and the corners, but the human does the surface of of the, of the card, because that's the, the hardest and most difficult to, thing to, to find a solution for. So yeah, it's possible that we can create tools that help graders to make things uh, more efficient.
0: Perfect. So, and just to, you mentioned that surface is the hardest. So we, in our discussion uh, yesterday, you mentioned that corners and edges were the easiest to get around and it really came down to centering and surface. Those are where they're truly the biggest challenges lie in the proper technology being developed. And then of course, if that happens now, now all of a sudden you need the capital investment to, to roll out a service. So, um, awesome. Um, <clears throat> Here's a question that, uh, that doesn't necessarily relate to the study you did, but uh, CBAS is asking about thoughts on SGC. And I do want to address this because I think, a, you know, I follow I, I'm, I follow a lot of the basketball discussion that goes on on the, on the, on the Internet. And um, it seems to me like a lot of these basketball collectors, they don't even know that SGC has been around for longer than PSA. They're one of the originals. They were around long before Beckett was. And I remember being at the National in the mid 2000s and there were as many cards graded by SGC as there were by PSA. So they've been around a long time. And I think they're just, you know, with all the the, the controversy, the scandals, the trimming scandals, and of course the wait times, they're now looking at this as an opportunity to come in and say, hey, we want, we want a piece of the market. We want some of your business. And I think it's a great time for them to come in. And I was watching on cardboard, uh, yeah, cardboard chronicles. Uh, Josh, Josh, who runs that YouTube channel, he had one of the managers or, or the, one of the guys who runs SGC on his show just last week or so. And uh, and that guy addressed the community basically saying, "We want, we want your business." This, this, he was a he was a youngish guy, but a real, real. He seemed pretty seasoned and polished for a, a younger fella. And. Um, I think that they do have a, an opportunity here to get a piece of the a piece of the market share piece of that pie and and but but we have to remember they were around as long longer than uh than beckett's been around for grading so they're not a new company they've been around as long or longer than than psa has been so to the question thoughts on sgc my personal thoughts on sgc seabass and everyone else um you know It really comes down to what you like, how you like your cards to look when they're slabbed. That's one thing. I mean, that's really, I like a card that I like to look at. And I think slabs do dress up the cards quite nicely. You know, one touches do as well, much more than a top loader does. But I like a slab for a couple of reasons. You get the protection, which other holders offer as well. I get that. But you get the protection and then you get the information on the card too. So you always have a reference if you're going to scan it. It's easy for people to understand what this card is. Whereas in a one touch, you may not un- know what variation it is if you're just showing the, that front of the card. So that's my take on SGC. Karn, do you have a, an opinion?
1: Yeah, first of all, um, during my, during my uh, business program, I actually spoke to the director of the NBA. And like I said, I'm a card geek and I always talk about cards. Like it's one of those things that I always do. And I was actually speaking to him about the training scandal and cards. And I told him uh, about last summer or two summers ago, I said, this is the time for the third company, SGC, to come in and take over some market shares. It's a perfect opportunity. Uh, PSA was going through the thing, and Beckett has backlogs. It's taking too long to to grade cards, and the time it takes to grade cards is a reason why even the computer AI idea came in, right? And SGC did that. They they marketed well. They changed their label. And it looks. A lot better. I still have reservations, like you said. Um, the dress-up portion of, of the grading is uh, is what what my major reservation of SGC is. It just uh, to me doesn't look as appealing as a, a BGS holder, or even I even like PSA holders. I know a lot of people uh, think they look cheap and plastic, but for me, I do enjoy having like ten PSA tens in a row. For example, yeah. just the, the the perfectionism of it, I really enjoy it. Uh, but I think. In terms of the grading standards of SGC, I think they're phenomenal. Like I took I, I spoke to Peter Steinberg, who's the gentleman that runs uh, the director of business operations at SGC. And we had a conversation and it's clear that they know how to grade cards and they're, they're efficient and they may be better than Beckett and PSA at grading cards. Um, but it comes down to spending money on how you want your card to look. You're not gonna spend $35 to make your card look worse than a beckett card right for example right. so my, my think is uh my my thinking and thoughts on it is great company i think it, there's a gap in it you can get sgc cards modern cards for cheap and for example if they change their labels in the future and they make them look more appealing potentially you may find cheaper sgc cards that may look better in the future if they do change their labels so sure, um, yeah. my my strategy on SGC right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, the the one I, I see another facet to this too, though, in addition to, you know, you have to like the way your cards present. The other issue is what's the market? How's the market going to react to these cards? So if I have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card or a Michael Jordan rookie card and I'm going to get this card graded, I want to get it graded by the company that's going to give that card the highest value because like it or not, like it or not. Certain grading companies ha- add more value, and you know PSA has built their pricing model on that. They charge you based on how much you value your card at, right? Because they know that a card in their slab is going to give you an asset that's worth more money. So they want a piece of that. Which, which I think you know there, there, there's there's I can see both sides of, the, of that uh, of that approach. But I think that the biggest challenge SGC has is converting all the people who are currently loyal to PSA or Beckett or PSA and Beckett grading. So I I see that as definitely as a challenge. A couple of hellos. Hey, Richie, thanks for joining us. Rich was uh, my guest here a few episodes ago. Nice to see you. Carlos says, hi, Rich. Great, okay, thank you, Carlos. Um, And Andy, I still do not see your name, I apologize. Uh, Carlos makes another astute comment. Pre-war would be a nightmare if you're talking about standards being all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Right. Speaking of, I do have a, I do have one SGC card in my collection. It's one of my favorites. Is I have a 1933 Babe Ruth, the number 53, the yellow background card in an in an SGC holder that I picked up several years ago. Sorry to bounce back to this. I, I wanted to, to mention this earlier, but just for me personally, it's the only SGC card I have. But it's a special card, and and I'm not even tempted to cross it over to another company because I just want to leave it. I love it, and it looks great in that older holder. Um,
1: what what i would add to that is i think sgc looks great for certain cards it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a thing where it really looks good on certain cards but certain cards it doesn't uh so it's like one of those things where uh, they kind of have to fix the, their model and make sure that their label looks good on every single card maybe switch uh the, the case for modern cards and vintage cards because it looks great yeah. vintage cards that's for sure
0: yeah agreed agreed Carlos has a con. Yeah, Carlos, I agree. I, I, it's entertaining with some of these um, and entertaining in a good way because, you know, you can't fault anybody for what they haven't been exposed to or don't know. But, but I think it's, it's on us that do know to help help the people who, who maybe are newer into the hobby in the last five to eight years or one to eight years type of thing. And let's know SGC has been around Then their, repu- their reputation among the baseball Collectors in the United States, which is really the biggest component of our hobby, was equal to, if not higher, than PSA for a very long time. And I don't really know what happened. Well, I think I maybe what one of the reasons why they kind of lost market share was because PSA was more innovative and they came out with their set registry and other promotions. Then they have the magazine, the SMR magazine that really allowed them to pull away from the competition being SGC. And I don't remember exactly when SGC started to kind of lose share and Beckett came up and gained share. Of course, Beckett had the brand and the name being super recognizable in the hobby, but maybe they saw, hey, maybe there's room for us now that SGC kind of isn't uh, marketing themselves to their full potential. And, And now I think SGC being run by younger, more aggressive, more innovative, more imaginative people, this the gentleman. I think you said his name was Peter Steinberg. Is that what you said? Was, that was the guy that was on uh, Cardboard Chronicles. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, this guy won. He won me over in that interview. He won me over because this is a guy who is as passionate as anyone I've ever met in the hobby.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Awesome, awesome guy. Awesome guy. Yeah. He was an awesome guy. I I I really liked him after that episode and you know, it's like you said earlier, Karn. you'll talk about cards anytime, anywhere with whoever will listen to you. I'm the same way. This (laughs) Peter Steinberg is the same way. You could just tell he's just like us, you know? So it's nice to have somebody like us working for and basically general managing one of the big card grading companies. So I wish them well. I hope that they can give some competition to Beckett and PSA and uh, we'll see where that ends up. Uh, The thing I don't like about it is that I have a very extensive PSA graded collection and I don't want that to lose value over time because I have significant funds invested in that. So, but that's that,
1: you see the camps like, Oh, I don't want to, oh, SGC sucks or Beckett sucks. It's because whoever has their collection invested in a certain grading company, you don't want the market share, share, uh, share to dwindle down. So
0: yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Scott
0: asked, what about MNT? So if anyone doesn't know MNT is a smaller Canadian grading company out of somewhere in Ontario, been around for probably Three to four years now, I'd say. Yeah, right. and you know, um, I don't really have many comments on MNT. I don't own any of their slabs. Um, I've seen them set up at shows. Uh, you know, they 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 walk around the show and they give out their flyers and they're trying to promote their business
1: and two, okay. big, two big cards in MNT.
0: There you go, two of their slabs. Their slab, it's their slabs <laughs> very Beckett-esque, if you will. It kind of looks and feels like a Beckett slab, but they. They have a they have their own branding, which is actually quite nice. Um, I think their biggest challenge is just branding and and brand recognition in the hobby and credibility as well. Because you know Beckett has credibility from the magazine; they've been in the business since the early '80s. PSA is just they were the first to market, really. Or SGC MNT is brand new, and I think that their biggest challenge is really has been and might continue to be um credibility and not to say they don't grade well or they don't grade tough but will the market embrace them to make that business a, a viable going concern i don't know the answer to that
1: for I, me it's core, core competency they, they have to provide something that's better than psa and beckett uh whether that be pricing whether it be a better holder or uh, whether it be customer service or whatever it is they have to find their niche and for figured out a way to attack that strategy, I think. So, but maybe in the future that uh, they can now work towards that a little bit.
0: Yeah, okay. Justin, if you're still there, when did this sucker start? We started at, uh, we started an hour and 10 minutes ago. This whole episode will be available on the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel shortly after we end it, which will be you know in about half an hour or so, unless we end earlier or go longer. But um, all the episodes are available on the YouTube channel. Everybody, if, you, if you're if willing to, please go there, please subscribe, like the videos. It's kind of cool just to, I like seeing the subscriber count go up. I think it was at about 175 before this episode and I needed to get to hundred to get a dedicated URL for the YouTube channel. And then I also learned you have to be around for 30 days and I'm not sure what day I created this, but I don't think I'm at 30 days yet. So one of these days, maybe tomorrow I'll be able to do that. But if everybody, if everybody doesn't mind, please go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, leave comments there if you want, whatever. Appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. Um, all right. Barry has a comment. Upper Deck Beckett both have massive struggles, but their names are iconic in the hobby. Brand names are huge. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's just the fact. That's just the fact that, you know, first mover advantage is something that is is present in every industry. And those guys were there. I mean, PSA especially. And it's not, you know, first mover advantage is is big in a new business or even a new industry or a new region. But in this case, it's like you've just got these companies that are so entrenched to knock them out of those footholds. It's going to be tough. SGC, I think has the best shot by a mile because they have been around since the, I believe since the early to mid nineties. So, and they they have a lot of loyal, loyal following in the, in the U S especially in the vintage baseball area. So,
1: And to add to that, if they continue to get more customers, uh, how are they going to deal with those same massive struggles, right? Because if they get more cards coming in, they might start seeing those same issues come into play as well. So,
0: Well, you know, Peter did address that exact topic on Cardboard Chronicles where he said, you know, we are going to move into a bigger space to accommodate the more the more more staff, more grading staff, because if you're going to send us the cards, we're going to hire people to do that. Like they 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 want to grow their business, they want to grow their footprint and I think they're going to. Now, he convinced me. So, I guess we'll we'll see how it we'll see how time time will tell, right? Time will tell on them and and on MNT if they are going to survive and make a going concern out of this and I wish them all the best. They're a Canadian company, you know, which is great, but just the by virtue of being a Canadian company, you're so much smaller than the American companies. It's just the way the world works, right? Um, okay, here's a comment from Justin. I do like how I do like how PSA grade gets put in a slab that is uniform across. Beckett loses its eye appeal once it drops below that nine and a half because of the color of the flip. Right, the flip is the the industry term for the label that goes in the slab. So once those flips turn color, I know a, a BGS eight or lower is it eight or eight point five or lower is white.
1: Yeah, like this, like it turns. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It, right, the it it just looks cheap, you know. Yeah. But that also allows them to to give that kind of uh, premium look to the golds and the blacks, and the silvers for that matter. So, all right, um, that's about it. Yeah, there's other comments coming through. Blockbuster was iconic too, and they're no longer around. True, but their technology also died. Right, it's not it's not so much about the brand there um yeah barry says they may both end up like like blockbuster possibly but i think we'd have to stop grading cards for that to happen um coke and pepsi tough to challenge them 100 percent
1: PSA is trying to uh add chip technology into their into their slabs so with like an rfid uh, situation where you can scan the the chip using your phone and it Brings up the population report and adds the picture of the card. So they're starting to scan the cards and add to the population report. Yeah, so that's an that. advancement that they're doing right now. I've Pretty
0: noticed cool. that on the back. I don't. I'm just flipping through a couple that I happen to have on my on my desk with me here. I don't think any of these are are old enough or sorry new enough to have that that RF is it called the RFID chip yeah. thing? But the, where you can read it with your computer with your phone and it'll give you all the details. Yeah, I've seen that on some for sure. So. Awesome, man. Well, listen, uh, you know, honestly, that that kind of brings to the end of the plan program. Uh, I don't have any more questions that I was uh, planning to ask you. Anything that you can think of that I might have just kind of forgotten to to discuss?
1: Yeah, no. Just in general, I think uh, I think it's great if uh, if we can continue to innovate and build a hobby. I think this hobby is just, it's a great pastime and it's more than that. We have such uh, passionate collectors and I really miss uh, the, the expo and I uh, really want to give back to the expo and just speak to dealers, make some deals. And I think this uh, card thing is going to stick around for a while. I know there's a lot of parallels to the junk wax era, but I think globalization and how much money is involved in, in the market now um this is something that's here to stay so i think people should take it seriously and i uh everyone should welcome new new people to enter the card market i think there's a little bit of that fear in in the card market it's like uh it's like when you like that uh low-key song but then it goes mainstream and you, you don't you you hate it now right? it's like we don't want that uh principle to happen in the card game we want it to grow we is want that, more.
0: is that called the nickelback
1: effect or <laughs> The nickelback <laughs> effects. Yeah, we don't we don't want that to happen in the car community. We want to welcome new new people in. I agree, and I, agree. I understand I that can cause like value discrepancies, and it can create uh, maybe the car that you're chasing go from four hundred dollars to eight hundred dollars. But at the same time, when when value is in the ecosystem and environment, you you make the business viability of creating uh, AI systems more possible. That's when the innovation comes into play, and you have a market and an environment that allows for that type of innovation to come into come into the the ecosystem there. So I think it's just uh, we should all, as a collecting community, at the grassroots level, just welcome everyone to uh, come to the card collecting world.
0: Right. Let Let's embrace the young collectors. Let's embrace the investors who are coming in and throwing big money at it. A lot. Of, I see a lot of comments. People saying, you know, all these all these investors are coming and throwing all their money at the cars. Now I can't afford them anymore. Yeah. I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I for some people, it's a bad thing for I guess if you hold those cards, it's a good thing. If you don't hold them, it's a bad thing because they maybe are permanently out of reach for you now.
1: And there's there's always uh, there's always a card that's overseen and overlooked, right? So it, it makes it more fun to find those gaps. But I do understand, like I, I am sympathetic to the collector that may have a list of cards that uh, they want to go through in the next year or two to find, and then they get to it and it shoots up quadruple value and look, not like that's hard to take and handle because it's like you have a budget going, and you get mad at the investors and the flippers that are coming into the market, but at the same time there's a lot of fun gaps to find in the market and it makes it a, a funner chase it, it makes yeah. it uh, it just uh it's just more vibrant and uh more people in the community to speak to about things and a lot more topics to talk about so i think and more
0: content coming out online and like youtube and instagram and and all that too um someone asked uh peter asked uh, i thought one of the comic grading companies coming into cards as well and barry does answer correctly they are cgc so i read somewhere just oh, wow. That that CGC is coming to grading, but there were questions whether or not they were going to be grading sports cards in addition to gaming cards. And my immediate thought was, they'd be stupid not to. Why leave that? Why leave that potential on the table? If you're going to grade Pokemon and Magic cards, Yu Gi Oh cards, um, hey, you've got the technology, you've got the staff, you've got the, the 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 capital equipment to to slab cards. You'd be silly not to embrace every everybody who wants to use your service. So they would have a chance to break in because they already have an existing clientele. They have a reputation and they they're a, an established company that probably has some, some capital available to invest in, in broadening their brand. So I think that's, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I actually really think Andy still no um, question again. Another question from Dave is KSA still around or are they just old slabs that I see for sale? Dave, they are still around. They, I know they have two branches one's out of uh, BC and one's out of Ontario and they're still they're still there they set up at Expo they slab on the spot at Expo if you're ever set up next to them your ears will hurt bad after the uh, after the show because the high pitch that it, that it takes to sonically seal these slabs I, I feel bad for the people that are set up right behind them or right next to them but Ksa is definitely still around um Brett so see see what happens in these shows, Carn. Is that as soon as I announce we're going to maybe wind it up, all these comments are coming in. So we'll keep on going here. We'll keep on yeah. going. Brett says, "Innovation and creativity. Do you think it will be rooted more in the collectors or the producers of the product?"
1: I think it uh, it depends on that uh, the market situation, right? If we have more value coming into the market and more. Um, buyers of cards, and the companies and producers of our product are going to say, hey, our revenues are going up. There's more more money for research and development. Let's create a game changer here. So I think that would push the producers of the product to be more in, um, innovative in a sense. But at the same time, maybe collectors, uh, I'm a collector here. And uh, sorry, that my eBay item is Go and- ahead. <laughs> you right. want me to this- you. <laughs> three seconds, it's all good. But uh, on the collectors, like I'm a collector here and I'm looking into ways to innovate. Um, so I think it's just a, a situation of, I think the forums, for example, there's a lot of negativity in forums all of the time. I think uh, if you go into, say, as I said, I'm in a lot of markets. If you go into like the Pokemon market, for example, everyone's always talking about how to create a positive change in the market, how to innovate, how to create data sets, and let's let's see ways to, to make this thing better. I go to sports card forums. It's always about, oh, that card's trimmed, or this guy screwed this guy over, or, this guy's a scammer, or, That this or that. I think as a collective community, if we can have this uh, brain trust where we, we have a goal and all of us combine together to create innovation in the market, it's very much po- possible. But for that to happen, everyone has to be on board and we need to create this attitude change in the market. So I think the producers are the product for now, but collectors maybe can uh, can win it out.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, that that question, I wasn't sure, Brett, if that question was more to do with, um, and Karn as well, if that question was more to do with the grading companies or the card producers. I think the topic being grading might have been grading companies. And I think there are various ways that they could innovate to... Um, to grow and to make, and even again, go watch the uh, Cardboard Chronicles interview with the, with um, Peter Steinberg from SGC, because he talks about what they're doing, which are some of the things sounded awesome to me that I've never seen from uh, PSA or, or BGS. So, and I don't remember what they are specifically, but I, I remember thinking, wow, that's impressive. That would be cool. So I do recommend people go watch that and hear this guy speak, especially if you want to, you want to hear from a he's twenty five years old. This guy, but he's yeah, he's a seasoned twenty five year old, and and he's again on top of being super passionate, he's well spoken, and he's he's innovative, he's creative, he's got you know he's got what these young younger people these days have, and I, I'm not that much older, but you know it's just it was it was a nice it was a breath of fresh air to be honest. So I do recommend you guys go watch that. As far as innovating card wise, and I don't want to get into that right now because that's not really the topic, but. I always say, you know, a card is two and a half by three and a half inches. There's not a lot of real estate there to work with. So, you know, people are, all, I always see it on, on message boards, you know, hobby, whether it's Hobby Insider, Blowout, Sport Card Forum. People are always saying they're no, they're not innovating enough. We need more competition. So they'll innovate more. I don't know what's left for them to put on a card. You know, I mean, you're talking about, it's like 8.25 square inches. What more can you do with 8.25 square inches?
1: I don't the know. Funny, the funniest part of that all is uh, the hockey card community uh, is negative towards the card company in the market right now. But then you go into the basketball community and they're negative towards their card company and they want the other card company in the hockey market to come back to basketball. And then it's just like- hockey. Uh, wants- Yeah, hockey <laughs> wants Panini,
0: basketball wants upper back. Yeah,
1: it's, we it's, all it's- want,
0: everybody wants Tops because we all want
1: Tops Heritage, or at least I do. You know, right? So yeah, we just, uh, I think we're, we, it's grass is greener on the other side type of situations. And uh, I think, I, I, for example, I love like Allure. Allure looks really good to me. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't catch on, but I think if that card was in basketball and there's a Zion Allure one of one autograph, that would be a $100,000 card. But for the hockey market, we're, we're very conservative in what we like. We like our certain brands, and that's it. So it's hard to innovate when you don't have that uh, motivation to innovate either cuz anytime a new product comes out there's a lot of negativity towards it anyways. So. Every
0: every product has negativity. If you're ever if anyone out there is ever and and HI members watching don't take this the wrong way but if you're ever looking to get a good dose of negativity, visit the message boards, all of them in the hobby. They are they are just overrun with it. Uh, it's been my experience and I I own one of those one of those websites. And it's my biggest beef with it is this the constant complaining and 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 negativity towards anybody and everybody. And I understand a lot of people have, you know, legitimate claims against the card companies for, you know, you know, but if you open one box of cards and you don't get a hit, you know, that company doesn't deserve to go out of business. You know, you know going in you're taking a gamble. If you open a case and you don't get the best case hit possible. It's not the card company's fault that you didn't get it. You just got the case that didn't have the best case at possible.
1: The market has to create the value, right? The reason why Mosaic Basketball is getting like every, every Walmart is sold out is because the market itself has created value for base cards. It's created value for the third-tier prospect, the fourth-tier prospect. If, if Series 1 comes out and there's – 15 young guns that have value, that the same thing would occur. Everyone would go out and buy series one young guns, right? So it's the situation that the market also has to support uh, the, the cards that are coming out. Right. They- the
0: card, the card companies are also at the mercy of the quality of the rookie content each year. That is pretty well recognized and understood by this hobby that rookies drive the rookies drive the hobby year to year so when there's a weak rookie year everybody wants more you know in hockey they want more gretzky crosby and ovechkin and in basketball well they can't get jordan and panini but they want more of those big stars whose autographs sell for big dollars but that costs the card companies more money anyway that that's that's another episode for for another time um there's a question that came in uh I'll put it up on the on the screen here. Uh, this person is asking, "Can you tell me about your, more about your background? You mentioned you were in law. I'd like to hear a bit more about that. Anything you want to say to that, Karn?"
1: Yeah, just uh, completed my law school journey, um, three year program. So I'm actually moving towards something completely different than uh, cards in general, and I'm going with personal injury. So uh, I actually have a a job lined up at a firm, just waiting for this COVID situation to clear up a little bit.
0: Perfect, Brett makes a nice comment. It's more than it's more that tennis match offense versus defense. Who is pushing the industry forward? There's a lot of great ideas coming from guys like Karn. Fantastic conversation. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for taking part in the discussion tonight. Um, yeah, I agree here with Scott. Inserts and in parallels, acetate and color. That's what we need more of. That's what I love. Shiny inserts.
1: I, I love. I love inserts and parallels. I, I think that's what uh, the hockey card community kind of has to, to move towards enjoying and understanding the level of how fun it is to collect parallels. I love collecting parallels. and mm-hmm. I think uh, when you when you see it on the market, um, you see a lot of negativity about parallels in the market. And I say, you know what, it's one of my favorite things to chase like OPG platinum. Yeah, uh, The uh, rainbow I completed was the, the the autographed set of Matthews and the non-autographed set of Matthews. It was the, the most fun I had in, in my hobby career. So I think we need parallels for sure.
0: I, I agree. I, I, I like parallels to a degree. I, I'm not a big fan of 25 versions of the same card, but I'm a fan of <laughs> maybe. I mean, some are. Hey, and that's fine, right? That's the beautiful thing about this hobby. We all have our own preferences. We all approach it in our own unique and distinct way. I'm happy when there's maybe five or six or seven parallels, ten as a maximum for me. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to hate on a product that has more. I'll just pick those few parallels that that to me are the most pleasant on the eyes, the ones that I like to look at the most, and I'll go after those ones if it's if it's a, if I find the players that I that I'm interested in.
1: I think in hockey, maybe max twelve parallels per card is what I've seen. If you, yep. go, to, if you go to basketball, you're looking at 41, 44. See, that's I that just becomes yeah like
0: how do you even stay on top of it then that you know that's that's just tough i mean you know thinking about even beckett magazine like price guys how do price guides stay on top of that it, it's it's got to be really tough plj says everybody knows if the roi is not 200 it's not a great product that's a tongue-in-cheek comment but i, I hear what you're saying pierre luke for sure Rich Richie asks, "Do you think KSA will ever be realized as a greater?" So, I mean, I'll start Karn, but I'm going to come to you too. I mean, I think they are Richie. I think they are realized as a greater. I just don't, I don't know that they're realized as a greater that puts out a great product and therefore commands market share. And my experience with KSA, I'll, I'll, I'll let I'll put it out there. Two things. One is. I've bought cards in KSA and I have crossed them over to to PSA. So I bought a 1923 Howie Morenz William Patterson rookie to me, one of the greatest cards in the hobby, hockey wise, at least I bought it as a KSA five and I convert, I I crossed it over to PSA. I don't know, probably close to 10 years ago. And it came back a PSA three. And I was happy with that because I wanted the uniformity in my collection, but that's, I've got more stories about eights coming, you know, KSA eights coming back as PSA sixes. I've never crossed one over to the same grade, but I've heard stories where they have. The other challenge I think KSA has is that I've literally Mm -hmm. held their case in my hand and just pulled it apart. No, there's been there was no nothing stopping me from just opening it up with my hands. So I think their they're, I think their product is flawed. The quality of their case or their whatever equipment they're using to seal those cases, I think, leaves something to be desired. That that is my biggest issue with KSA.
1: What, what's your take? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, my first card I ever graded in 2003 was uh, the Rick Nash Young Guns by KSA. So I think it's like a great. Um, a, a, a beginner grading situation because they grade uh, on site at the Sports Card Expo, but as realized, I think you mean realize as in are they going to battle with PSA and Beckett and uh, and SGC? I don't see that happening. Uh, like you, I agree. It's a it's a little bit of a flawed product there.
0: And they're also again like MNT, they have the challenge of being a Canadian company, which is which is going to make it almost impossible to break into that U.S. market really and take on the big the big guys that are that are there right now um yeah scott says we don't need 25 versions of the same numbering yeah i, I hear that you know and then uh brett says there's some parallels out there that aren't desirable they're forced maybe a question for a future guest i think he's speaking to leaf product there and we'll talk to brian gray about that on saturday who will be my guest and don't forget that guys brian gray owner of leaf a very outspoken and entertaining and really, just an all-around nice guy. I, I've known Brian on a personal level for several years now. I, I, I've known him from being at the national. Had been in his poker game there a couple times. And um, he's a—he's an animated guy. He's—he's he's a collector. He's an investor. He's a producer. A manufacturer. He's a flipper. He does it all. And he's gonna—he'll—he'll he'll be talking on Saturday about what's going on at Leaf and what other uh, sports card endeavors he's working on. Going to be super interesting, if not just to. Just to hear this guy speak, he's uh, always very entertaining. So check that out on Saturday, guys. And also, if you see the banner, uh, the ticker at the bottom right now, uh, the, the Expo, the Sports Card Expo online edition, June 5th and 6th, go to the website sportcardexpo.com and uh, see when Steve actually has his first uh, announcement or is starting to accept vendors or we will start describing how that's going to work. I'm not sure how it's going to work yet, but he'll get that on there soon. So You guys should certainly check that out. Um, Sam has a comment. KSA is legit, especially from Vancouver's location. So I have an issue with that comment because when you're running, and I met the the Vancouver rep or owner of the Vancouver branch at the West Coast Sport Collector Convention in November, and I found it odd that they're running two different branches. um, And so I, I believe grading separately and kind of representing the company separately i see a disconnect there and the fact that you can actually say that it's legit from one location and not the other um that concerns me but you also say ksa is coming a long way to improve and and i think that says improve i hope they do you know i wish them the best i have nothing against ksa i just uh i just want to see them step up and improve their holder number one that's the most important thing i've I bought, a, I bought a set of cards in their holders once at Expo. It was that same 1923 Patterson set, a different version of it. Or sorry, it wasn't the one I bought way back, but this was just a couple of years ago. And you hold those cards in the slab. And if, if that slab goes like, you know, kind of goes, if you're looking at it, but it goes back like that, the card was sliding out of the four corners it was supposed to be in, potentially damaging the edges of the card and the surface completely unacceptable in my opinion and that needs to be addressed before i will ever do business with them but that's just that's just the fact of what i've seen so okay i'll keep going through some questions here Karin. how's your time did you get that card on ebay
1: no i lost it Locked. Damn! how much? By a lot uh no like 50 bucks <laughs> all right um
0: Here's a comment. Uh, I will say after this podcast, I'm less confident in the hobby. Definitely not the goal of this show. With razes and the contamination of grading companies, it's hard to know what is true north. What's your guide? My guidance on that, Bon Halen, is that, um, first of all, I don't see anything really wrong with razzes. Um, if you want to partake in them, that's on you. Everyone approaches it differently. So if you want if you like the gambling aspect, I mean, let's face it. If you're breaking wax, you're gambling. You're getting something at the end of the day that is tangible, you're gonna get some cards, but you might put out $150 on a box of cards and walk away with $30 worth of cards or, or 10. Meanwhile, you could get 1, with a thousand. With a Raz, you have a one in 10, say, shot of winning something that's quite valuable. And if you're a gambler, and a lot of people are, then why stop them from doing that? I certainly don't see that as contamination. I find that word offensive in that um, in that use, actually. Um, and then or okay. So the contamination of grading companies, whenever you're dealing with human judgment, uh, you're going to have, you're going to have, you know, subjectivity and you're not going to have consistency because it is human. So, um, contamination is a strong word for that. Uh, you know, there could be some favoritism happening, but, uh, I don't have any evidence of that. So it's tough to say, um, my guidance is to look at the look for the positives in the hobby, collect what you like, find things you like. Don't go into Razzes if you don't like gambling. That's, yes, that's everyone. That's super easy. There, there should be no issue there. And and if you think that there's contamination in the grading companies, don't get your cards graded. Simple as that. It's not for everybody. So approach the hobby in the way that works for you. Otherwise, You know, and I don't mean, I don't want to push people out, but I always get out if you don't like it and you're going to spread negativity in the hobby. I personally don't want you in it. I want positivity in the hobby and people who are at least if you find if you have issues with things going on in the hobby, it's fine to discuss them. But, you know, let's talk about solutions and not just. I don't want to use I don't want to swear, but let's not just crap all over things all the time. And I find that there's a lot of that in the hobby.
1: Karn, anything on that? contamination of grading the whole uh, podcast was actually to try to find a solution to, to the contamination <laughs> of so, grading yeah.
0: yeah karn actually i don't know if you were here on the, when at this part of the show bon halen but karn actually put out 15000 of his of his own, own hard earned money some of it from razzing, to help improve the world of grading and i think that that you know as someone who runs a professional raz business if i can call it that karn we actually owe him a, 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 some gratitude for trying to help us all by finding ways to improve one of the parts of the hobby that isn't perfect. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, sorry, I had this on the screen. There are some products with 40 parallels and hockey fans complained about stats with six or seven. Fact. Yeah, fact. Carlos says, check out late 90s tops tech parallels on steroids. Basically, the point being that parallels have been around for a long time. Wayne, who was a guest on our showcase last Sunday and sold some cards through it. Very awesome. And congratulations, Wayne, and thank you for taking part. He's not a grader, but he but I did some through the store with MNT and my customers were very happy. And at the end of the day, that's what that's what's important. The collectors are happy with the product. Mnt slabs are second to none. In my opinion, their slab is beautiful. It's strong. I mean, I've only had a couple of my hands, Karn. What, what do you think about their slab versus Beckett slab or PSA slab
1: and KSA's for that matter? Yeah, I think the the slab itself is beautiful. And I, as someone that might be a first time grader or something, I would not see any issues with this slab at all. Like it's a, it's a pretty good looking slab. There's no issues with it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. It's pretty sturdy, um, cardboard. And I have Jeremy. Have you reached out to any of the grading companies to appear on your part your podcast? Not yet, but I do have uh, friends in a couple of them. I've got a friend at at, at BGS who I am going to reach out to uh, see if he want if he if he's willing to join or if the company will let him. We'll, we'll find out. Um, I don't really have anyone uh, that I'm close with at PSA anymore. I used to, but they're no longer there. So I and I have not reached out to them or MNT or KSA. But I would be happy to have any of them on SGC as well. I mean, these are all people who are players in this hobby. We all have. We all we all have a stake in it to one degree or another. So yeah, I'd be happy to, to have them on for sure. Darcy, welcome, man. How far along has the case gone with authorities with PSA? I'm not qualified to answer. I know that um that you can find that information. The the court, the US courts do have this stuff available. You can search it. I don't know where things are at with that carn. Do you have any idea where things are at with uh that whole trimming scandal from last year. I know there is a class action suit coming out, but I don't know much more.
1: I, I read the statement of proceedings and uh, the situation arising from it. There's uh, aspects of price manipulation and things of that nature. I think there was an update that occurred two days ago. So if you, there's uh, law of cards is the Twitter account, I believe, but he posts uh, all the updates involving the case. So I think there was an update about uh, two to three days ago.
0: So check that out. I uh, would say that that Twitter handle again, law.
1: law of Cards or Law in Cards, something around that.
0: Yeah, I forget the gentleman's name. He's, I think he's a writer. He's a, he's a oh, Lesko, I
1: think is his name.
0: Paul Lesko, that's right. Yeah, check him out. I agree here. Peter it has to be consistent across the company. I believe that's, we're getting behind in comments now, but I believe that had, that had to do with the West Coast versus East Coast KSA. Uh, Let's see what Brett had to say. Interesting comment by Bon Halen. I think there's a ton of great things with this hobby. Graded cards aren't my thing. Neither are Raz's. There's so much more out there to explore and enjoy. Exactly. Thanks, Thanks, Brett. The case is maybe a year old at this point, Darcy. Going to be many more months before anything is likely done. Well, everything moves slow in courts. uh, Definitely. Here's an interesting comment from Sam. Vancouver's uh, head guy at KSA is apparently from one of the big competitors. That's interesting, something I didn't know. He actually came and introduced himself to me at the Vancouver show in November, and that didn't come up. I that If he would have told me that, I would have had a much longer conversation with him. I can tell you that much for sure, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I heard the same about mint as well. I believe. Jeremy doesn't like hobby pigeons. I don't really know what a hobby pigeon is, but but uh, if, it's, if it's just constantly spreading of negativity, true that, Chris, true that. Yeah, Mitch. Exactly, Mitch. Don't be the problem; be the solution. I mean, we're we're pulling these cliches out from everywhere right now. But I, I hundred percent agree. Like, you know what? I think
1: we're part of it. I think uh, people need to stand up for being the solution instead of the problem. So I think uh, making comments like that is perfect. Yeah, yeah. Richie says he'd never heard of KSA before coming
0: to Expo, and that's because they're a small Canadian company. But they've been around since the '90s. I actually, this is gonna, this might surprise you or some people, but. Back in the, this is, boy, this goes back to probably 1998, 97, 98. I was actually in discussions with the then owner of KSA of buying the company and being KSA. I'm glad I didn't for various reasons, like income potential and all that. But in any event, um, it was something I thought about doing a long time ago. And, but Richie, yeah, they've, they're, they're just, they don't have any, you don't see their cards at the national ever. You see them at you see them at Expo at some you see them quite a bit at Expo. A couple of the prominent vendors there have showcases filled with them. Guys like Jason Martin, guys like Brian Wentz of BMW. They've got showcases filled with very valuable cards and KSA cases. I would have to really sit there and watch their booth all weekend to know if any of them are selling. I just do not know. We got more comments coming here, Karin. You good to still go? Yeah, I'm good for you. All right, let's look at Roddy's comment. Great, I'm going to put my head above it. Graders are the highest paid position at PSA. I don't think they risk their jobs by giving favoritism. I agree with that, Rod. I think it's just human element that as long as humans are grading, there is possibility there will be different grades each time you send a card in. I mean, you said it. You said it right there. Nothing, yeah. nothing really more. Bon Halen, thank you for taking part in the uh, in the show. Really appreciate it. I didn't. Sorry if I. Seem to come down hard on you, but the word contamination uh just kind of threw me off a little bit there. Jason, buddy of mine, I like MNT graded cars. Yeah, their slabs are beautiful. As long as they're gonna grade consistently and um, you know, and add value because and that's not for everybody. Not everybody wants value added to their cards by grading them. I do, I'll admit it. I love my cards. I love my cards. They're like my babies. And I've got two young kids. They're my babies, my cards are my other babies. Like it's just. It's just this weird thing, you know. I love my cards, and I want them to present well. I want them to preserve well, and I want them to appreciate in value well as well, because I've got a chunk of my capital invested in them. So I need it to be. I need. I need. I need it to be um, for that value to maintain. I would need. I want it to be. It would be certainly be nice if it does. Um, oh, here, Bon Halen. I don't think slamming questions is the right approach. I've been collecting for 25 years and I'm a strong proponent of collecting. I hope the questions aren't frowned upon and that we can continue. Yeah, certainly can. I just, uh, I didn't mean to slam your question. It was the word contamination that, you know, I i, I don't like a lot of negativity. i am I'm all about, I'm all about discussion, but I want solutions. I want to talk about solutions. If you're going to slam something, propose something that can actually make it a little bit better. That's just how I am. Um, Yeah. Let's continue enjoying the hobby. We all approach it the way that we do. And I'm with Brett. Healthy conversation is good. And, and please don't, don't uh, take offense to me having my opinions. I, you know, I'm doing this show, but I got my opinions and I feel like I'm entitled to have them. And if I, and I'm, I can express them too. So, you know, and, 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 and if we don't agree, that's fine too. If anyone doesn't like something I say, That's fine. Let me know. And, um, and then get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let me know. And I'm always open to discussion. And, and you know what? Another thing is just, you know, I kind of pride myself in being open-minded. I don't know everything there is to know. And I, my brain can't consider all of the different possibilities of analyzing a situation. So if I miss something, I want to be kind of informed. And if I, if I learn of a theory that makes more sense in my current existing theory I'll make that new theory mine as well, and we'll join forces. So let's do that. Let's join forces. Graded cards give you a view of what graded cards give you a view of what's on eBay. Okay, Richie, I don't really know what you mean, but I'm sure you in your head that makes sense. <laughs> there I go. Maslam in your question, Richie. We have a relationship that I can just tell you what's on my mind. Collect what you like, respect fellow collectors who are passionate. Don't get personal or judgmental. Haters, take your ball and puck and go home. Fair, fair enough. Pigeons poop on everything. Well, okay, let's just go through all this stuff here. Darcy wants to know, Karin, do you do basketball?
1: Yeah, I do. I do quite a bit of basketball. I actually sold one of the biggest uh, basketball cards, modern basketball cards in the last week. So (laughs) that was kind of an interesting sale there. What was it? Uh, The LeBron James Gold Refractor, Tops Chrome Rookie. Is that a... 10? Say that again? Is that is that numbered out of 10? out of 50. 50. It's a LeBron James out of 50 rookie. So it's it's pretty huge. Pretty huge. What did that sell for? Uh it was uh six figures, um more than a hundred, <laughs> less uh, than three hundred, but uh it was uh it was around there.
0: Wow, wow, that's that's amazing. Here's a question back to your rousing. How would you handle rousing a card fifty thousand dollar plus? Would you insist on certain delivery standard since you're personally insuring transactions i don't remember you saying that you're personally
1: insuring transactions but do you want to speak to that i actually do personally insure some transactions like on the lower end cards say if someone uh i had a situation like last uh last year someone didn't receive their card i didn't even tell the owner i just gave the the winner of the card the money i'm just like honestly <laughs> it's just easier that way and uh it I save $2 per, per RAS for insurance uh, circumstances uh, of that nature. And uh, in terms of a $50,000 RAS sale, I think uh, earlier on someone was asking about scaling to that uh, major card. If it was a big card like that, I would probably be the one that owns the card. So uh, it would be based on my, my ownership of the card. I wouldn't uh, right. just RAS someone else's card like that.
0: Fair. Mac K. Hello from SoCal. Good show, guys. Thanks, Mac K. Nice to have someone from SoCal watching. Appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, here's a question. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to throw it up. Paul Cashman asks, says perks to grading our eBay online gives a little more certainty in what you're buying bidding on. As long as the number comes up in their pop report, I don't have to worry about a card and the fuzzy Sasquatch type picks, yeah. You know what? I mean, that's that is really the essence of grading. That is the whole reason why it came about in the first place. Because with the advent of the internet in the early mid nineties, all of a sudden people are buying cards sight unseen from remote locations on eBay and other various um, formats or platforms, and it gave you something to rely on that you would actually know what you're getting. And that's what it really. That's really what grading is about. Giving you an idea that, you know, if I buy a card and the guy puts a nice a picture of it that might not even be a good picture, but even a good picture sometimes can hide a crease, a light crease or a surface defect or, or something on the back of the card, whatever it may be that isn't obviously disclosed. And sometimes the sellers don't even notice them. I mean, that's how ha- that happened. That's happened to me before I've sold a card that was damaged. I didn't even realize and then the person gets it and they're like, hey, this card's damaged. I'm like, "Ah, oh, man, I-, I apologize. I didn't even realize it. Send it back. I'll send you your money back. No problem, you know? And then I go to the scan and I see, oh crap, there it is. How did I miss that? You know, it's ha- that's happened to me. And I, you know, I'm not a in the tens of thousands of eBay transactions, but I've certainly sold my share of cards in person. Um, that can happen. So that's what grading is really all about, giving you some sense of of assurance on what you're getting. And, you know. That's pretty important. And and that's why that's why it's never going to go away, because the Internet's not going away and the global economy is not going away. It's only getting bigger. And in our hobby with so many more people in, you know, across the pond, especially Asia collectors in Asia and South America. I don't know. I'm not flying there to buy a card. So I want to know what I'm getting. And that's why I do rely on my PSA, not, I won't say my, but on a PSA slab, a BGS slab, an SGC slab, and then to a lesser extent, the other companies we've talked about, but hopefully that will go to be coming to a greater extent at some point. Anything on that, Karn? Sorry, I yeah. kind of maybe covered it, but.
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely.
0: Um, Rod wants to no know, Karn, oh, where was it? Here we go. Nope, not that one. Karn. Was that a BGS 95 LeBron Gold Refractor out of 50? Yeah, true gem as well. <laughs> true gem as well. Amazing, amazing. Comment from Sam, keep killing it, Jeremy. The show fills my gap of missing hockey. That's such a compliment, Sam. You don't know how, how good that makes me feel. Thank you so much. I'm just honored to be able to um, offer this. I started doing this show because I was like, you know what? I, I'm taking in all this content. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm on Instagram all the time. And there's a lot of awesome content out there. And, uh, you know, I started because I wanted to sell some cards. So I just did a live broadcast in a, in the in the one of the vintage hockey groups. And I did a ton of business from it. And I thought, hey, that was fun. And then people were messaging me saying, hey, you know what? That was pretty entertaining. You should do it more often. Well, okay. <laughs> I got the time. You know, I may as well start something up. So thank you, Sam, for that. I truly appreciate that comment. Um, <clears throat> Rich says, what do you think the expo will be like if there is one in the fall? What do you yeah, think, I
1: think uh, It's going to be super interesting to see. Uh, I think that's the, one of the best things about cards. It's uh, the globalization aspect of it, the trading aspect of it. We can buy things online, so the card prices effect hasn't been uh, there yet. But in terms of the sports card expo, People are going to be a little bit more weary about touching people's cards and walking into each other and just a crowded space. I, I, I'm I'm not very optimistic it's going to happen as close as we as soon as we think it's going to be. But uh, I really hope it does. I hope uh, I hope that uh, psychological aspect of everyone wanting to be with one another and being close to one another uh, is there. And so it'll be interesting to see the next uh, within the next year how things play out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I certainly want it to happen. Whether or not it happens November 13th to 15th um, is remains to be seen. And on the episode I did on Saturday with the owner, Steve Menzi, he meant, and Chris Carlin as well, they both said you know, they want to time that show to coincide with one of Upper Deck's major releases. And the way things are looking right now, it might be tough for Upper Deck to get Series 1 out for that November, especially if there's no hockey, now all of a sudden there's no Young Guns in that set, which drives series one and is a big driver at Expo. So I can easily see Expo either, you know, if there's hockey, I think we'll see it. I think we'll see the Expo. If if hockey can start in, you know, early early to late October, we can possibly have that show still. I think it'll be different though. I think, you know, you're gonna see lots of hand sanitizer all over the place. You're gonna see people are gonna spend as much time washing their hands as they are touching cards. And maybe there will be fewer attendees because people are just going to be paranoid that the virus is still out there. And the other thing is that we don't know if there's going to be a second wave. So it's tough to really know what's going to happen that far down the line. I think if you're really wanting to plan for something that's going to happen for sure, well, there's no for sure ever, but would be the next spring expo. That's the one I'm looking forward to. But also, guys, watch for what Steve Menzi is doing with his sports card online edition on June 5th and 6th. You know, in the absence of of shows where we can go to in person, I turned to content. I started creating some. And and even, you know, the, what we did this showcase on Sunday, we had 10 vendors showing cards. And I think most of them sold cards. That means people were buying cards virtually through a virtual type of show. So that was that was an awesome experience. I had a blast doing it and probably going to do more. Hint, hint. Brett has a question for you, Karn. What card set or product drew you into the hobby? You got a real positive energy and excitement about collecting, which
1: I, I concur. What drew you in? So, yeah, the the first, um, I, I still remember the first big card I got uh, was actually in Vancouver. My first hobby box, I was 10 years old. My parents uh, gave me one gift to purchase at, in, in my trip. And uh, I saw a hobby box at London Drugs, like the randomest place ever. And it was 2002, 2003 Series 1. Uh, opened the box on the plane back to Toronto. Um pulled uh, the Rick Nash uh, super short print young guns. I didn't even have top loaders or plastic sleeves or anything. I just like carried it home. So I think that was like the first uh, set that really got me into it. And my brother used to collect his, uh, collect hockey cards, basketball cards. So he always uh, left me cards behind. So I would just always just look at all his cards. So that's kind of like what uh, drew me towards it. And when I pulled that uh, Rick Nash card, I forced my brother to take me to my first sports card Expo, and then. First card I graded was that card and it was with KSA, so. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've
0: been, so that Rick Nash, Young Guns, that's an 0203 card. So you've been in the hobby for almost 20 years now.
1: Yeah, it's uh,
0: yeah, it's been quite some time. All right, so listen, we're coming up on two hours, which is pretty long. So I'm going to run through some comments and then we're going to wrap up, all right? So Jason says, I'm starting to grab graded cards more often now. I like visual appeal and assurance of qual- of a quality card. Me too, me too um bon halen i think the show is great don't get me wrong well done but constructive criticism should be fine constructive criticism is always fine constructive being the key word i'm not saying you weren't being but i completely agree with that darcy what is the number one card in all sports graded i'm i have a guess immediately came to mind do you have a do you have what you think it is Karn? and i don't know for sure but i know what i think it is
1: In terms of like the number one iconic card,
0: or like I think he means population across the big grading companies. Which card has been graded more than any other?
1: Okay, I have a a thought. Are you going to go first? Nineteen eighty
0: nine Ken Griffey Jr. Jr. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, which is exploding
1: by like they're they're like eight hundred bucks right now. It's crazy. It's
0: crazy, man. How about the Mike Trout rookie? I bought my Trout rookie. I brought my I bought my PSA ten Mike Trout tops update for three hundred dollars national two years ago and now it's like doing twenty three hundred dollars which is more than i said when i made the same comment on my show last week so it's crazy um all right very quickly here thank you carlos appreciate the comment rod bruce says honus wagner i think in terms of the most iconic card of course honus wagner would be yep yeah, we have another vote for 89 griffey another vote for 89 griffey another vote for griffey um what does Chris say? I was I was looking at that a while back. So many Griffies are graded. Yeah, yeah. Darcy says value wise, Darcy, it's got to be the 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 Honus Wagner, Mickey Mantle, fifty two tops, right? I mean, these are the most valuable cards in the hobby. Scotty, thanks for tuning in, brother. Appreciate it as always. All right, man. Listen, no more comments are in the are in there right now, so we're gonna wrap it up. Karn, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. We went longer than I thought we would. So thank you for your time. I know it's late out there. Really appreciate your insights and razzing. Really a lesson for everybody and what it is if people weren't aware. What you did for the hobby with your with the, card, uh, the trading card vision system. Really appreciate you doing that. Putting your own serious money out to that. I think we all owe you some gratitude for that. So thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Everyone else? Sorry? Thank you for having me and uh, continue what you're doing. It's a great show. I appreciate that a lot, man. I really that, that that's what keeps me going. Guys, don't forget sa- this Saturday, Brian Gray from Leaf. That's going to be entertaining as entertaining AF. I'll leave it at that. Um, next Wednesday, I'm gonna announce right now, next Wednesday, we're having another collector's perspective episode. My guest will be Barry Grice, the Grice Boys, a, a former father of the year, as named by Upper Deck, a very passionate collector. He dabbles in all sports. He's out of out of Colorado, I believe is in Denver, and uh, someone who I've known personally for oh gosh, almost fifteen years. So, it'd be great to have Barry on. It'll be a very chilled out collection uh, discussion between a couple of collectors. So, tune in for that. And then also the Saturday after that is Brian Price, another owner of a card company. So, that's going to be pretty awesome. A great schedule coming up. Everybody, check them all out. Thank you for the episode, for the comments that are coming in here, guys. Really appreciate all the all the all the positive feedback, Roddy, Roddy says there's 73,000 Griffey cards graded by PSA. I don't know if that's just the 89 upper deck or if that's all Griffey's, but that's a substantial number. Dave, thank you for the great show comment. Sincerely appreciate it guys. 73. Okay. So Rod did some math. That's a big number. All right, Karn. thanks again. We're going to sign off everybody. Good night. Thank you for watching. You can catch the whole episode on YouTube pretty shortly. Good night, everybody.